Good morning, everyone. Awesome. Uh, grab your Bibles out. Please. <laughs> That's just uh, giving me a chance to open my notes. I do use notes. Not many. Everyone having a good day today so far? Good. I've got to get my timer out as well, otherwise I'll go like an hour. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. And as I, uh, as I speak, God, I ask that I would not speak my words, but they would be your words, God. They would be from your lips and I would just be a mouthpiece for you. Uh, let me become smaller and you become greater. Reveal yourself to us in new and exciting ways, God, and help us to walk out uh, different than the way we walked in uh, with fresh challenges and fresh ideas of how we can uh, serve the kingdom and see it uh, here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Open up to Matthew chapter 13. I probably should have said that first. Um, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're at. This is the uh, fifth uh, sermon in the series of Kingdom. And we're talking about these kingdom parables that are going on. And um, in our youth ministry at the moment, we're doing a series called Relevant. And it's all about the the study. We're looking at the Bible and how to read the Bible. And um, one thing that we we encourage all of our youth, and I encourage you to do, and that we're going to do today is to, um, to step back from the text just for a moment and look at what's actually going on. Set the stage. Because when we set the stage, it helps us understand really what's going on. And I'm not necessarily talking about every iota of context, but even just looking at what's happening at that time, where Jesus is sitting, where people is, are, are sitting, what's ha- why is Jesus saying these things? It helps us to really put ourselves in the story and understand what's going on. So I'm just going to do that really quickly. It's only going to take me about 20 seconds. Um, so we, at the start of Matthew, we see that Jesus is with a bunch of people who are coming and wanting to learn. And they're on the side of the shore, right, of a lake. And uh, Jesus is like, okay, well, it's time to teach these guys. So what happens is he gets them all to sit along the shore. And Jesus gets in this boat. And he sits in this boat in the water. And he starts teaching Um, about these kingdom parables, what the kingdom is like. Now, we don't know, I reckon Jesus probably did talk in parables previous to this, but according to the Gospel of Matthew, this is the first time that Matthew starts talking about where Jesus uses parables, right? doesn't say that Jesus never used them before, but this is where Matthew is really starting to highlight that this is where Jesus is is using these and utilising these for the sake of people understanding the kingdom. So the question has to be raised, what is a parable? Does anyone have a really succinct idea of what a parable is? It's not a story in itself. It's not an analogy, allegory. It's a succinct story that is aligned with something else to help you understand the unknown. Right? Don't worry for those taking notes. You don't have to write that down. I've got it here. Parable actually comes from the Greek word parabole, right? Which is actually a compound word. So para, which means alongside. And bello is to cast or throw. So what Jesus is doing is he's casting and throwing these ideas of things that they know and that they do understand alongside things they don't understand. So hopefully with the comparison, they'll be able to understand the unknown. Yeah? Understand? Not yet? I put it this way as well. The known is a torch, right? And the torch is used to shine on the unknown. And in Matthew chapter 13 is the kingdom. So Jesus is using stories of things they know or referencing things that they're fully aware of to highlight and to bring awareness to the things that they don't know, which is the kingdom. And now they live in an agrarian culture, which means that they're saturated in agriculture. So that's why we see with the parables that Jesus will often talk about things like weeds 
and seeds and farming because it's what they knew. Because during doing that, he could highlight the kingdom because if he talked about the kingdom in its purest form as what it is, they may not have actually understood. Are you following? You with me? Awesome. Come on. All right. And that's what we, that's what we see in this one, this parable that we're going to be talking about today. It's very farming. Um, I don't know a heap about farming, so I had to do a lot of research. So there's a lot of farmers around here. So if I'm wrong, please don't judge me too harshly. All right. Uh, open up to Matthew chapter um, 13, verse 24. Oh, there we go. Uh, in your Bibles, if you don't have your Bibles, then it's on the screen. And we're going to be talking about the parable of the wheat and the weeds today. The wheat and the weeds. It's important to note that this is the second parable in chapter 13 of Matthew. The first one is the sower scattering the seeds. And Jesus tells about that. The seed is the truth and he throws it out. And those who receive the truth it fell in good soil. And then Jesus goes on to explain it. He explains what the parable of the sower is actually all about. And then he starts the second parable, which is this one. He says, Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began... To grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went out to him, went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds tie them into bundles and burn them and to put the wheat in the barn. And then Jesus does something that he didn't do in the first parable. He stops and he starts talking about another parable. He doesn't explain this one. And I can only imagine what's going through the disciples' minds because in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 13, chapter, uh, verse 10, chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus explains why he talks in parables. And he says he talks in parables so those who are really seeking the kingdom, those who really want Jesus, those who really want that relationship can plainly understand because it is simple to them. But those who are coming to argue, those who are coming drenched in layers of theology who don't actually want a relationship with Jesus, they won't understand and actually their understanding that they have will be taken away from them. So I can put myself in the, I don't know about you, but I put myself in the mind of the disciples sitting here. The first parable's been said, it's been explained, awesome, we're all with you Jesus, we're understanding what the kingdom's about. The second parable gets told, and then Jesus moves on without explaining it. There has to be some sort of anxiety or fear going on within them, like, hey, what's going on? Because I don't actually don't understand what this parable means. And Jesus told us earlier that those who don't actually want a relationship, those who don't actually want the kingdom, are not actually going to understand. And if I'm sitting here not understanding, what does that say about me? How many of us live that life a little bit? Well, we don't know what God's wanting in our lives. We don't understand what God's telling us. We open up the scriptures and we read it and we don't understand. But then the, the disciples do something absolutely profound. And it's so simple. And I've read this scripture plenty of times in my lifetime. But they do something so amazing and so profound and something we can all learn from. Is that when Jesus finishes telling the rest of his parables and he goes into a nearby house and he's alone with the disciples. 
The disciples are in an intimate moment with Jesus and they decide to lean in. They lean in because they're not just taking it at face value. They go and say to Jesus, Jesus, hey, what did you mean by the parable of the wheat in the field? Because some things Jesus gives us freely, some understanding he gives us freely, but sometimes we don't have understanding, we don't have God's peace in our lives, and we don't have um, God's blessing in some things because we don't ask. And the disciples go and ask, how amazing would it be if we were a church that anytime we faced opposition, anytime we were discouraged, we had negative words over our lives, anytime we were facing sickness or depression, any mental illness, and we didn't understand what was going in life, instead of trying to figure it out on our own and trying to tr- piece some form of life together, we actually got intimate with God and we just leaned in. How different would we view the world if we just leaned in? Yeah? And that's what happens. The disciples lean in and turn with me to verse 36 and we can read how that happens. Um, It says, then this is after a couple more parables. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds amongst the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Um, Anyone who's my friend on Facebook, if you hands up if you're my friend on Facebook. Yeah, come on. If you're not, you're welcome to be. Uh, You would have seen that I posted a picture of a blank page and a pen earlier in the week. (laughs) If you uh, maybe get some of my stuff in your feed. And um, that's what I do when I start writing a sermon is I sit there with a blank page and I let God just just direct me in the text and start writing these different things. And that page stayed blank for three days because nothing was coming. And the reason nothing was coming is if this was a parable where Jesus didn't explain what the parable meant, I probably would have had something to write down because I can start pulling it apart and, and have something to share with you all. But nothing was coming because everything that I thought of, I kept coming back to, Jesus already said it. Jesus already told us exactly what it means. How can I take this parable and give you something fresh, something new, when the person who I aim to be like, who I'm trying to be like, said it perfectly himself? So as the band comes up, I'm going to pray. No, I'm joking. (laughs) We're not finished. We're not finished. Um, And I was talking to Danny about that this week, and Danny said, yeah, but what does this tell us about the kingdom, right? Because this is about the future events. Jesus is telling us about what's going to happen as well. But here's the thing. is The kicker is the kingdom can be here now. Right? So what does this tell us about how we live our lives now and how we interact with the kingdom that is here now? So I've started jotting down some ideas and I've got five thoughts. And I call them thoughts because they're not points. Points are longer. So they're five thoughts about what we can learn about the kingdom through this text. So for those taking notes... Point number one is the field belongs to Jesus. 
The field belongs to Jesus. Nowhere in the parable do the workers go up to the owner of the field and say, hey, there's weeds in your field. Over there, down by the west wing of your field, there are heaps of weeds down there. So just so you know, you don't own that part of your field anymore. That belongs to somebody else. That's nowhere in the parable because it's silly. Can you imagine if I got a ute and I chucked um, some weeds in the back and some shovels and I went to Beck and Steve's farm and I started, went into a random paddock and I started digging over dirt and throwing weeds in the ground and then I went and knocked on their door and said, hey, guess what, that part of your, your property over there, that's now mine because I planted weeds in there and turned over some soil. It's silly. The field belongs to Jesus and the field is the world. So we need to stop this idea that, you know what, I'm going to go and pray in that, in that, um, that town because, you know what, I'm going to go claim that town for Jesus. It's already his. He owns that area. There might be plenty of weeds there, but it is his property. The devil is not a landowner. We need to understand that is everywhere we go, we go with the power of God because we are in the home ground advantage because we are going because Jesus owns the field. Everywhere we go, Jesus owns it. He has claimed it. It is his, and any power that the devil has has been given to him by God. But Jesus owns the field. And how much can that transform the way that we do ministry? When we go out to our workplace, to our schools, to our communities, to anywhere that we go out, to to our sporting areas, to random towns just to pray for areas, and we stop this idea that this is the devil's land, and we say, you know what, this is God's land, I'm going with with the authority and the blessing and the commanding of the person who owns the field. How much will it change the way that we do ministry? Yeah? Jesus owns the field. Oh, there we go. Psalm 24, 1 to 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. The field belongs to Jesus. And I got this quote by Joan of Arc. Now, she was probably talking about war, but how true her words are in regards to this point. Go forward bravely. Fear nothing. Trust in God. All will be well. Can you imagine if we all did ministry in our circles of influence this way? Because we know that our king owns the field. Thought number two. Jesus goes from sowing seed to sowing people. Jesus goes from sowing seed to sowing people. The first parable was the seed, right? Throwing the seed. What's the seed? You can respond. The word of God, the truth, right? Those who hear the truth. Come on, we take on the truth. And as soon as you take on the truth, as soon as you are one of those people that takes it, that believes it, that lives it, then I can tell you, I can promise you that God is then going to sow you into an area of influence. Yeah? The first parable was about truth. The second one is about mission. And I'm not talking about Christian mission. I'm not like typical Christian mission. I'm not saying that as soon as you believe in God sows you, man, go and apply for church. Go to christianjobs.com.au and start applying for everything that you've got. Don't do that. What I'm saying is that God has inbuilt a desire in you to serve in a certain area according to your mission and according to the needs of the field. Yeah? So whether that is Christian ministry whether that's leadership, whether that's sports chaplaincy, whether that is journalism or medicine or um, 
uh, care or counseling. It doesn't really matter because whatever it is, God's built that in you because he needs you in a specific area of his field. God wants to sow you into an area. When I first became a Christian, or before I became a Christian, I wanted to be a sports administrator. I didn't even know what a sports administrator was, but it just said sports, so I was interested. I loved sports. And um, I didn't care what I wanted to do, sports administration, sports managing, sport, anything to do with sports. And then when I became a Christian, God absolutely transformed my desires literally overnight. I had no desire whatsoever to be in any sporting industry. Not that it's a bad industry. If God's called you to that, go and be that. Go and be a wheat in the sport industry. But for me, God then said, no, I'm calling you to ministry. Because I had taken the truth. The seed that was thrown at me sprouted and grew. And then God said, now I'm ready to sow you. And I got thrown to the area of the field that the Lord needed me. So when you, you know, if you're sitting here going, I don't even know where my, my calling is, ask God to sow you. Because he does need you in the field that he owns. Another quote, Martin Luther says, Every occupation has its own honour before God. Ordinary work is a divine vocation or calling. In our daily work, no matter how important or mundane, we serve God by serving the neighbour and we also participate in God's ongoing providence for the human race. If you're in entertainment and you're like, man, I'm not doing enough for the kingdom because I need to be serving somewhere that's more Christian, serve in entertainment. Be God's hands and feet in entertainment. Be a wheat in that area of the field. Every area of the field needs wheat. There's too many weeds around. Thought number three. The enemy is sowing weeds. The enemy is sowing weeds. John 10.10 starts off by saying, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And let me promise you, wherever there is a child of God, wherever a child of God is sown into the field, the enemy will come at night and plant weeds. I can promise you this. It would be remiss of me not to mention that because that is the truth of what the, how the devil works, is that he will do anything to bring down God's people and reduce their effect on the kingdom. When I was younger, I used to play football. And I know what you're thinking. Of course you did, Adam. You're a specimen. <laughs> For those listening to the podcast, I'm in shape. It's just a bit of a round one. I used to love football. And uh, 1995 is when I started playing football, and I loved it. I played for a team called Wesley Hill out near Castlemaine. And um, if I'm really honest, the first year I played, I was, t- I was terrible. I was horrible. Couldn't kick, couldn't mark, couldn't run, couldn't fit into the jumper. <laughs> it was a really, really sad thing. And I rotated between two positions that year, back pocket and bench. They were my, they were my positions, and I loved them. Well, actually, I didn't. I hated them. So the summer, anyway, the football season finished, summer came along, and I just worked hard. I practiced on my kicking, I practiced on my marking, I practiced on everything. I had a growth spurt, and uh, I came back day one training for the 1996 season, and man, I was, uh, I was on fire. You know, during training, I was kicking goals, I was running fast, I was handballing well, I was tackling well, and uh, I thought I'd done really, really well in training, and the coach comes up to me after training and says, Adam... Um, we're actually going to trial you in full back. 
So fullback's a pretty important position. And um, I just need to let you know, um, you've improved over the summer. And I'm like, I know, I know. And he says, but here's the thing, is that because you've improved, when we play you on the field, it's not going to take long for the opposition to realise that you're actually a formidable force for our team. And when they do, they're going to put more players on you. You need to be aware of that. You need to prepare yourself for that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. I didn't think it would actually happen. First game, half time, I had two opponents on me. And then some games I had three. The back pockets were free. They could do whatever they wanted. And I had three opponents on me. And I found it really, really tough. And the reason I'm telling you this is because when you are sown into an area and you start working hard for the kingdom and you become a formidable force because you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you want the things that God wants and you start actually being effective for the kingdom, the enemy is going to say, we need someone to man up on that person. And when that happens, weeds are going to get planted around you. They're going to start entangling you. They're going to start growing around your feet. And you are going to feel the force of the enemy because you are a power for the kingdom. I promise you that will happen. Sometimes it will be people. Sometimes people will come into your life and try to drag you away from your your calling, your kingdom calling. Sometimes you'll be facing discouragement. Sometimes like a lot of negativity. Sometimes you'll actually go through personal stress and personal sickness. When you start going through these things, rejoice because it means you're a power for the kingdom. That God is using you. You have taken on the truth and God has sown you and the enemy has noted that you are someone to worry about and he's putting things in place to stop you being so effective. First Peter says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It'll happen. And when it happens, got to go to God and be, be actually encouraged because it means that something good's happening. You know, you might have heard that a couple of weeks ago, maybe more than that actually, two months ago, we ran United We Stand which was a big youth event. Lots of churches got involved. 17 youth groups decided to put differences aside and just come under the banner of Jesus and come together. And 280 kids came into the Cairo gym and 55 of them gave their lives to Jesus. The week before, I had major medical issues and anxiety. And the devil was trying to derail me. There were weeds being planted all around my feet not just mine, but even some of the other organizers, there was things happening in their lives where we were trying to, the, the devil was trying to derail us because he knew something big, something amazing, something transformational for the kingdom was going to happen. Be encouraged when the devil looks at you and says, we need a man up on that person. Come on. Am I preaching to anybody today? Come on. <laughs> Point four don't blame the owner. This is your field. Didn't you plant good weeds, uh, good wheat? Didn't you plant them well? Why are there weeds now? I thought you were good. You're the, you're the owner of this field. Why are there weeds? Come on, you're in charge. Why are there weeds? You didn't do a very good job. Maybe you weren't even listening. Maybe you're not even paying attention. Are you blind? Can you not see what's happening in your own field? How many of these kind of questions or thoughts have you heard from people who don't know Jesus? 
Look at the world. Look at, all, look at the state of it. Look at all these disasters and innocent people dying. Is God blind? Is God all-loving and not all-powerful? Or is he all-powerful and not all-loving? Because he can't be both. People, so many people taking their own lives from mental illness. Where's God? Look at all these weeds in the world. God's doing nothing. I got a text from, a, um, from one of our youth kids uh, last week saying that um, to pray for one of their friends because their friend's mum has been diagnosed with incurable cancer and has been given a short time to live. And this boy that is her son is not only struggling with the fact that his mother is going to be gone soon, but that God is doing nothing about it. The owner is doing nothing about his field. But in the words of Jesus in the parable, the enemy did this. This is not God's handiwork. It's not God's handiwork that people die of cancer. It's not God's handiwork that people have mental illness. It's not God's handiwork that people are so discouraged that they think about taking their own lives. It's not God's handiwork that pastors in America are are committing suicide. It's not God's um, design for any of that stuff. The enemy is sowing these weeds in the field. But here's the thing. The field belongs to Jesus. And he's still letting it happen. He's still letting it happen. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God is not being lazy. God is not turning a blind eye. God is not blind. God is not dead. God is not asleep. God is patient. God is patient. And that's a virtue, I suppose, that I would love to have, a characteristic that I would love to have um, like God, that God is patient. Because there are times where I look around me and I see people working against the kingdom and I see things happening in the world. I see the weeds of the field and I start to question, God, when is this all going to end? When are you going to step in and actually stop this stuff? I remember years ago I turned on the news and you're probably familiar with this picture of like the boy laying down on the, the beach three-year-old boy, a refugee, right? And I remember the first thing that came into my heart and to my mind was, Jesus, come quickly. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of the weeds. I'm sick of the not God of the world. Can you just come and just fix it, please? But that's really earthly thinking because God's like, I'm patient because there are still people who you think are weeds who are actually wheat. They're just not yet. There are still people that I'm waiting for. And let me tell you why I'm thankful that God is a patient God. Oh, there we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. <laughs> Don't you realize that those who do wrong will, in, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, or are greedy people, or are drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit 
and by the Spirit of our God. The reason I am thankful that God is a patient God and God is waiting is because I was once someone like that. 18 years ago, I called upon the name of Jesus and I was saved by the Spirit of God. And I am so thankful that 19 years ago, God's patience did not run out and say, it's time to just pack this whole thing in because everyone's just getting worse and worse. I am so thankful that 19 years ago, God did not give up on me. So we should be thankful, we should be praising God that amidst all this in his sovereignty and his knowledge and his glory and his righteousness that he can see that there are still people who we would put in the weeds category who are actually wheat, they just don't know it yet. Let's be thankful for God's patience and not blame the owner for the weeds. And the last point, sorry, thought, I want to bring, (laughs) is that harvest is coming. It is coming. And I want to tell you a really stern truth that you may know and you may not. The harvest is not your job. It's not your job. It is so easy to look around and go, man, that person's a weed, that person's a weed, that one's a wheat, hey mate, that person's a weed. That is not your job. When I was in school, there was a friend I had who we went to um, youth group together and we started a Bible study in our, in our school. Um, great guy. But after a while, he started to stop using the Bible and start using other just self-help kind of books and he started to go down that route and away from God's word. And um, what happened is he ended up taking the whole group with him because self-help stuff is a lot easier to digest than some of the conviction in God's word. And I got, I'll be honest, I got so angry. I got so upset because this guy, one, was taking something that I love, these people who were actually coming to know about God and taking them away from God. And there were times, I didn't use these exact words, but some of my prayers and thoughts to God were, God, it is time, grab him by the bottom of the stalk and pull him out because he is done, he is not worthy to be doing this, he's clearly just a weed, it's time to just get rid of him. And he hadn't changed all the way through school. A couple of years ago, I was at a convention in the Gold Coast, um, National Youth Ministry Convention, and I saw him. I was a bit surprised that he was there, and I went over and I talked to him, and the change that God has brought in his life is absolutely amazing. He's absolutely repented from all the things that he'd done, and he actually even apologized for taking that group the way it went, and he is now following God wholeheartedly for the kingdom, and he's serving in youth ministry, and he's just bringing more and more people um, into the presence of Jesus. And you know what? I counted him off as a weed. I'd written him off. He was a weed. But God is patient. And God knew that he's a wheat. That he was going to come back. He was going to... God is patient, guys. And that's why we have no qualification whatsoever to be the judges, to be the harvesters. The scripture says that the the harvesters are the angels. Let the Lord sow it. Let the Lord... let Let the sower do the reaping and the harvesting. Um, but we as, as wheat, we do have a specific job as well. So I'm not just saying just sit back and just be your wheat. Like you've got something to do as well. And what we've got to do, I think, can be found in Second Timothy. <laughs> and this is in regards to how we interact with people we think are wheat and people we think are weeds. 
A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Your job as a wheat in regards to interacting with the weeds that you identify as weeds is to be gentle, is to be kind, is to be patient, to speak gently, and God might bring them around. It's not to judge them. It's not to cast them out and label them as weeds. Be gentle, be patient, be kind. Talk gently. But that's not it. You also have a specific role to do as a wheat in yourself. And it's actually the same role that any wheat has, actual wheat has, is to grow, to mature, and reproduce. Because when you grow, you start to mature. And it's only when you mature and you grow your ears that you can actually reproduce. So in your faith, in the way you love people, in the way you raise your children, in the way that you treat your marriage, in the way that you work at your workplace, in the way that you talk to your friends, in the way that you interact even with weeds, just grow more and more like Jesus, mature to be like him, and you watch the influence that you have because you are kingdom living will reproduce and people who are around you who are weeds will start their journey of being a wheat. And it's easy for me to say that. It's easy for me just to say, this is how you do it. But, you know, some of you might be sitting here going, okay, well, you've told me that that's what I need to do, but how do I actually do it? You know, my circumstances are really difficult, Adam. There's stuff going on in my life you actually have no idea about. It's easy to get up on the stage and just preach this stuff from the Bible, but you actually have no idea what I'm going through. Being a wheat, being a mature wheat, is actually really, really hard in my circumstance. Or Adam, you know, you have no idea. You have no idea how many weeds I've got around me. You had a couple of footy players around you. I've got my legs entangled all the way up to my waist, maybe up to my neck. I can't even move. If I can't even move, how can I be a wheat? Look at these circumstances. Look at the stuff that's going on in my life. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to be a healthy, growing, mature, reproducing wheat. How do I do it? And I'm just going to finish with some advice on how you do it. That's two words. Lean in. Lean in to God. Because he can speak into your situation. He can tell you how to do it. You're worried, you're concerned, you don't know the path forward. Lean in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth. And I just ask that as we, uh, we mull on these words, God, that we, we look at this parable, that we can be healthy wheat, that we can grow strong, that we can mature well, and that we can see the reproduction that comes from kingdom living God, that comes from you. I ask for the people that we've uh, previously labeled or identified as weeds, God, that you would help us to love them, to be patient with them, to be gentle and to be kind, because that is our job. Help us to love you more. And Lord, take us into those intimate places with you, behind closed doors where we can just be one-on-one with you 
and we can just lean in, put our forehead on yours, and just seek the way forward. You are good. You will, you've always been good. You will always be good. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.